What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode four of Filibustered. I'm Morgan Edwards. And I'm Robert Shemwin. And so we both just got out of uh, AP testing, so we're a little brain dead, but we're going to give it a shot uh, with the podcast because unlike Trump, you know, we don't just take the day off. We don't just go to Mar-a-Lago and go golfing, so we're, we're going to keep doing our job. But we have some great topics lined up today. But first, if you guys haven't already, make sure you listen to our previous episodes. Uh, at risk of sounding like an annoying YouTuber, make sure you guys subscribe, rate us, write us a review, tell your friends. And something new, ask us questions and we will pick some and answer them on the show. Um, you can direct message Rob and I personally on our Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Or you can direct message uh, Filibustered on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, or for all your old folk out there, you can email us at filibusteredpodcast at gmail.com. So with that being said, today we're going to talk about Stormy Daniels and the ongoing saga with Trump, uh, as well as the Trump administration backing abstinence-only uh, sex education programs, uh, Mike Pence uh, supporting Sheriff Joe Arpaio at a pro-Trump event, and Trump pulling out of the Iran deal, and then we'll have our crazy story of the week. And then finally, we're really excited. We're going to talk with the amazing Sam O'Sullivan from Washington, D.C., who's our good friend, and uh, we went to the Senate Youth Program with her. So that's really exciting, and we hope you all enjoy. All right, so our first story today. Donald Trump and Stormy Daniels, we never know where we're going to go next, but ladies and gentlemen, Donald Trump admitted that he reimbursed Michael Cohen for the payment to sign with Stormy Daniels, and he did so, and then uh, spoke at a prayer breakfast after admitting to paying off a porn star. Rob, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> you know, here's what I say. America's favorite porn star always comes through every single day and every single week. Because she always is, brings us something new about Donald Trump that's hopefully going to help us take this man out. But man, I mean, come on. I mean, how does this shit make sense? How are you going to, like, admit to having paid off a porn star? And then right after, talk about, oh, Jesus, you know, we're going to go praise everybody. It's all come together as a nation. Praise the Lord, you know. That's some fucking hypocritical, you know, uh, bullshit. And I'm like... I just, I can never imagine any other president doing this crazy shit. I mean, that just, I don't even feel like, I, I don't even want to pray no more. I mean, I, I'm I'm just thinking about the shit that you did. Nah, but this is just, I don't, I don't know how everybody at the prayer actually was. Like, do you really like, do you feel connected to like the spirit? You know, you do you actually feel connected to God? When you have this motherfucker who's such a hypocrite who just paid off a, a porn star, like, how do you even pray to God in that moment? I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense, you know? I just don't get this shit at all. Nah. Well, Trump was praying for more porn stars. He was hoping that That's probably more were, more were in, his, in his destiny. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump, after doing this, then issued new rules, the Trump administration issued new rules that are going to favor uh, funding programs, uh, sex ed programs that promote abstinence-only education, uh, and not requiring uh, rigorous evidence of these programs' effectiveness. Uh, so the man who has sex with porn stars, prostitutes, cheats on his wife all the time, is now telling us, don't have sex. Abstinence-only. I mean, this guy, this guy got three baby mamas. 
three baby mamas. Don't nobody who got three baby mamas should be telling anybody else to not to have sex. I mean, you just don't have that right. You've lost that right. You got three baby mamas. You sleep around like as if sleeping around is drinking water every single day. So I, I just, it doesn't make sense. It's it's like he's speaking out of both of his ass. It's just speaking out of his ass. That's what it really is. Because you, I'm not going to take something like that seriously. And also, here's the thing with uh, when you tell teens don't have sex. Here's going to have They're going to have sex. What they should be doing is that they should be laying out all the different options. They should be laying out, you know, yes, abstinence is definitely a choice. It's definitely an option. But you also have to teach you about safe sex and all these different other uh, options that they have when it comes to this issue of sex and whatnot in teen pregnancy. When people have more options to choose from, they're more than most likely going to be able to make better choices and better decisions. Telling them not to have sex is probably one of the dumbest things ever. And any educator could tell you that that's not going to work. And so this is just stupid. It represents the stupidity within the administration that we've all been seeing. Right, and we've seen... There's empirical data that suggests that abstinence-only sex education has not been effective. And in fact, we see states that have taught abstinence-only education are correlated with higher teen pregnancy rates. Um, And so this strategy is not proving effective, let alone the fact that it's coming from a man who gets peed on by Russian prostitutes uh, in his free time. So all around, great situation. America, don't have sex. Our next topic is Mike Pence. Speaking of uh, prayer, good Christian man, Mike Pence. He went to a pro-Trump event uh, and spoke and introduced Sheriff Joe Arpaio by saying, quote, a great friend of this president, a tireless champion of strong borders and the rule of law. Sheriff Joe Arpaio, I'm honored to have you here. So that's just your righteous, good Christian man, Mike Pence, praising a racist criminal who, first of all, does not support the rule of law. He said he supports the rule of law. Sheriff Joe Pyro literally broke the law. He was racially profiling Latinos as the sheriff of Maricopa <laughs> County. He, there was lawsuits against him. So a federal court in Arizona passed a statute saying, can't racially profile. Well, Sheriff Joe Pyro kept doing that and was then uh, held in contempt of court and was scheduled to go to prison uh, until Donald Trump pardoned him. So that's just one thing. But let me remind you that Joe Arpaio, what he's done in this past, right? So as the sheriff of Maricopa County, he ran this tent city is what it was called. And it was this prison, at which he described, self-described as a concentration camp. He held people in terrible conditions there. He bragged about making them eat sandwiches that were so rotten that the meat was green. The temperature got up in, to you know, 130, 140 degrees. They only served two meals a day. Women were put in chain gangs. He made them wear striped pink clothes for his own amusement. He installed webcams that showed women using the toilet, and that was then linked to pornographic sites. Uh, there have been million-dollar settlements about prisoners who died in the jail after being mistreated. And a New York Times reporter went to this prison and interviewed inmates. And this reporter asked the inmates uh, if there were any nicknames for Joe Arpaio. And two separate inmates responded, Hitler as his nickname. Joe Arpaio got mad about this and responded by saying, quote, my daughter has adopted children of various ethnicities. I got a black, a Mexican with Down syndrome even, and yet I'm the racist, I'm the fascist, I'm the Hitler. So this is the guy that Mike Pence says he's honored to have and who stands up for the rule of law. 
you know, I would say for a very religious guy like Mike Pence, he really has a fun way of showing his uh, uh, Christian tenets, you know. Uh, it's a very funny way of showing it. You know, these are the same people that don't want us to call them racist. I mean, you know, Donald Trump loves the blacks. He loves the African-Americans. You know, he's African-American Kanye West, you know. Um, but they have a funny way of showing their love for communities of color, for um, marginalized communities, you know, by supporting, literally pardoning a guy who broke the law by racially profiling uh, Latinos, you know, uh, people of color. Um, for praising this kind of individual, there's nothing that you can tell me that um, would, uh, what would I say, w would deny of me from calling you a racist, uh, because that's what you are. You support a racist individual, you pardon a racist individual for doing racist things, which were seen to have been done under the law, um, and you're mad when we call you racist. Um, first of all, I don't think Mike Pence uh, is a true representation of the Christian faith, as he is so religious about it. And this is, it's just disgusting. That's what it is. At the end of the day, it's disgusting. And for a guy who is so scared of football players kneeling, this guy literally went out of, left a football game because football <laughs> players were kneeling and he saw that as disrespect to the American flag and to, you know, veterans and to the rule of law and whatnot. He has a funny way of showing uh, that, he's a funny way of showing as to who are those who support the rule of law and whatnot by supporting a guy who literally broke the law. Just hypocrisy again with this administration, and just another example of why I call this administration a racist one. Right, and so you know the Trump administration, and you know the platform that Trump ran on when he was running for president, it emboldened people like Joe Arpaio. It it attracted people to his campaign that were racist. I mean, we had a uh, former Grand Wizard of the KKK said, you know, at the Charlottesville rally, he said, "We're here to carry out Trump's agenda." The KKK endorsed Trump. This is nothing new that a portion of Trump's base is racist and he brings that out of people. But the other part of this is if you're supporting the Trump administration and you're not racist, you're still you're complicit in that. No matter if you're personally racist or not, you're still supporting an administration that is racist. So you're still playing a part in enabling Trump and, and allowing him to do the stuff that he's doing. And part of the blame or a large part of that blame goes to the Republicans in Congress who like Paul Ryan, like Mitch McConnell, are spineless about it and don't stand up and say nothing about it. There's two side, two ways of thinking about this. Either they know it's wrong and they're not saying anything about it, or even scarier, they don't know this is wrong and they actually believe the same thing and they and they support the kind of stuff that Trump says and does in office. So all I can say, midterms 2018, vote them out, vote them all out. A large part of the GOP that's been enabling Trump has been a stain on our country. Get him out of office. All right, our last topic today before our crazy story of the week. Uh, for all you nuclear war fans out there, um, good news. You know, the Middle East, it's, it was a little calm, right? We needed to spice things up a little bit. So Donald Trump decided he was going to pull out of the Iran deal. Rob, what do you got to say about that? Well, uh, first of all, uh, <laughs> Trump keeps saying that this was a one-sided deal um, that was orchestrated by Obama's administration. Let me remind people that this uh, that this deal was reached by seven countries after more than two years of grueling negotiations um, and tatters and whatnot. Uh, and you know this th this agreement was reached as a way to uh, 
permanently, this is, it was a way to permanently stop uh, Iran from building up any more uh, nuclear uh, weapons and nuclear facilities and whatnot. And it was a way to give the West access to uh, Iran's nuclear facilities and to be able to inspect them. Um, it was just so that they could inspect them and see that Iran was following along with uh, the agreements um, of not producing any more nuclear weapons. Um, and, and for it not to become sort of like this, uh, sort of, I would say like a danger in the Middle East, um, and whatnot. And so when this agreement was reached, you know, the whole international community saw that there was the best deal that they could reach and that it was in, in the best interest of the world's safety and the safety, uh, of the Middle East to reach this deal. Well, guess what Donald Trump comes and does? He doesn't like anything that the, the Barack Obama does. So, you know, what? I got to I got to get rid of everything that uh, President Obama does. And that's what he does. He comes and he pulls us out of this agreement, even though he had his own advisors who were telling him, do not do this. The Secretary of Defense, General Mattis, told him this is not a good idea. It's it's in the best interest of the United States. It's the best interest for world safety for us to stay in this agreement. But Donald Trump does the opposite of that, and he takes it up out of disagreement. And so one of the things that could come out of this is that it's going to make us look not as it's going to make us look like as if we're not going to stay, we're not going to keep up with our work when we go to try to do negotiations with North Korea, which I, I don't know what North Korea is going to think about that. Are, are we really going to trust the same country that pulled out of an agreement that it was a uh, part of? Um, and so, and Iran now has the right to basically say, well, since the U.S. pulled out of it, if we want to pull out of it too, we can, and we can continue on producing more nuclear weapons. And so there's really, this was just a bad way to um, go about this. He, even the, all the other uh, Western countries, I, I know France uh, was uh, trying to lobby him and tell him, you know, well, if there's things about the agreement that you don't like, let us try to fix that. that and, and that's what they were trying to get him to do. But guess what? Donald Trump didn't care about that. He just wanted to pull out of the agreement like he has pulled out so many other treaties and so many other agreements that we've had with other nations around the world. And so this this was just a bad way to do about to go about this. Right. And and after this happened in uh in the Iran parliament, uh they were burning the American flag and chanting death to America. Um so this is a country that's threatening the United States and now we're gonna say, Oh, you know, go ahead, get your nuclear weapons. That's fine. That's fine with us. Um and so the problem is, you know, um Nora O'Donnell from Sixty Minutes, she sat down with uh, Crown Prince, uh, uh, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, who, you know, is, um, it's very tense between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And the Crown Prince said, Saudi Arabia does not want to acquire any nuclear bomb, but without a doubt, if Iran developed a nuclear bomb, we will follow suit as soon as possible. So this is escalating the possibility that there's going to be a nuclear arms race in the Middle East. So we're already dealing with this crisis with North Korea and what we're going to do there. Obviously, relations are tense with Russia, although with Trump, maybe not so tense. He likes their prostitutes, but still, um, you know, they're meddling in our election. We have a trade war going on with China. We have a war in Syria. So there's just so many conflicts that are that are already happening. What's the incentive of starting another conflict? Ben Rhodes, who was one of the main negotiators of the Iran deal, tweeted, Trump just created an international crisis with no plan for what comes next, no fallback to maintain constraints on Iran's nuclear program, and no logic other than hyperbolic anti-Obama talking points more suited to a Fox and Friends panelist than a president. And I think that pretty much sums it up right there. 
Um, I, and I do think it's interesting that a lot of people that are applauding Trump for pulling out of the Iran deal, if you ask them what the Iran deal is, they probably couldn't give you any specifics. They're just cheering it because it's the, oh, it's the party manifesto. It's, it's, it's what we should do. But the Iran deal has been working. Periodically, they have the UN, who, who is overseeing it, has to release a report, and they've released 10 reports in a row that's saying Iran hasn't uh, been working on nuclear weapons since the Iran deal came into play. So it, it has been working. And now, uh, you know, nuclear war just became more possible. So as if any, all of that wasn't uh, crazy enough, we now have Crazy Story of the Week segment. Last week, we had two crazy stories of the week because a lot of stuff going on. This week, we have two as well. First of all, a press staffer at the EPA attempted to distract from uh, his boss, Scott Pruitt, his troubles by planting stories that would reflect poorly on Ryan Zinke, Secretary of the Interior. So we now have agencies fighting amongst themselves to throw each other under the bus because that's how much corruption is going on in this, this administration. You know, this, <laughs> this is like when you're at school. And let's say you do something wrong or you weren't able to do well on a test or a quiz or just something. You did something wrong that didn't please the teacher. And then you say, well, what about Billy? Billy didn't do this. Billy didn't do that. Oh, my gosh. No, don't look at me. Look at Billy. He's the one that did the bad thing. That's <laughs> what it is at the end of the day. It's just about where do we shift the blame? How do we take the media and the attention off of the horrible and stupid shit that we're doing? to somebody else in our own administration. Look, it's not like they're planting like a story like, like let's say a former Obama official or like, you know, a Democrat or something. No, they're, they're planting a story on a person who is <laughs> part of their administration. So first of all, they're stupid about the way they go about doing this. I mean, <laughs> this shit, <laughs> it's, just, it's crazy. If corruption is at that level, then damn Lord help us. And if it's at that level where you have to blame your old people in order to try to get the uh, spotlight off of the horrible shit that you're doing, damn, are we screwed. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys out there listening uh, watch John Oliver, but uh, anytime there's a Trump scandal, John Oliver, he, he calls it stupid Watergate because it has all of the ramifications of Watergate and all the corruptness, but with stupid people involved. And uh, this is this is pretty much it right there. Um but not only that, uh, our other crazy story of the week, good old Melania Trump never fails to disappoint. Uh, Rob, tell us about what Melania Trump did. So, you know, y'all know we got love for our first lady, Melania Trump, you know. Uh, <laughs> and so she, you know, every uh, every first lady always has some sort of initiative that they have that they put together. One, it always involves uh, children from what I'm saying from the past, Obama, uh, Miss, uh uh, Michelle Obama was, you know, the health initiative of, you know, trying to, you know, beat out obesity, obesity in, in our country and whatnot. And so Melania Trump came with something oh, amazing, fabulous, fabulous idea. Uh, and that is to <laughs> basically hers is called the the best initiative, um, a children's uh, agenda with a focus on social media. And she's basically trying to, you know, uh, stop, uh, what do you call uh, cyberbullying, cyber uh, Cyberbullying, and there was some other thing that she was trying to do with it. But it's basically just to help kids be the best of themselves that they possibly can be. And that involves being nice to others. Uh, she said, children deserve every opportunity to enjoy their innocence. <laughs> Your Slovenian accent is great, Rob. 
thank you, thank you very much. You know, I, I tried my best. You know, uh, and so what's funny? What's funny about this? What's funny about this is that literally she's married to the dude who goes on Twitter every single day. Fake news media. Weak, weak, weak. Uh, what did she say? Uh, weak Marco Rubio. You know, lightweight Marco Rubio. That's the kind of person who she's married to. Who goes on Twitter to bully others. And then she comes up with this initiative about children to put kindness first in the last, particularly on social media. I mean, come on, man. You're speaking out of your ass. That's what you're doing, Melania Trump. I'm sorry. I'm not going to give her a pass because it's like, (laughs) if you really want us to take your work seriously, how about you show us how that work is being produced within your house? Show us the effectiveness of your work in your house. Is Donald Trump going to stop bullying people on Twitter? If not, then I don't know if us as kids, as children, if we can really take this initiative seriously of trying to stop cyberbullying. And it's a good initiative. I'm not denying that because cyberbullying is a huge, huge thing within our society. Here's the crazy part. So when she wrote out this initiative, she used uh, she used this um, the, the the template that she used to roll out this initiative. She she used it based off if. Off of a brochure that was used in in Obama's administration. That's <laughs> what she used. And there's no surprise there because when she gave a speech to, what was it, the Republican National Convention, she did a speech that was literally plagiarized <laughs> from a speech that Michelle Obama had done in 2008. And so it's like everything Melania Trump, she always loves to use what the Obamas did. It's like she has a love affair with the Obamas. She's longing, longing for attention. She wants somebody to save her out of this hellhole that she has with Donald Trump. But, you know, we love our first lady, you know, Melania Trump, you know, she's very beautiful, you know, and she's gonna make, she's gonna stop cyberbullying, you know, make our kids be very kind and all that stuff. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she she's the, pretty much the same exact guy that the Obama administration released, and then changed like three words, like, you know, a the to an uh, or something like that. She changed that like, are these people that stupid or that lazy or a combination of both? Or do they actually figure, think that we won't figure it out, what they're doing? That's the Trump administration for you, folks. So we're super excited to be joined by our friend Samuel Sullivan from D.C. Um, quick background on Sam. She's just changing the world. No biggie. Um, she just got into all eight Ivies and recently chose Harvard. So Sam, congrats. And thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So you recently won the National Space Club uh, and Foundation keynote scholarship, and you were the keynote speaker during the Robert Goddard Memorial Dinner last month, which had nearly 2000 members of government industry and educational space community. So talk to us a little bit about the dinner, the process of being selected, and uh, the experience of delivering the speech in front of so many distinguished guests. Oh, yeah. So that was a really awesome experience. Uh, I heard about the scholarship uh, through my school, and uh, the application process basically consisted of sending um, a video of myself talking about why I was inspired by outer space, as well as an essay, several recommendations, a transcript, all of that. Um, And then I was notified about mid-February that I was a finalist, which was really exciting. And I actually had to write a speech uh, that that was a sample of what I would give at the Goddard dinner. 
Um, so I delivered the speech to them in person. And then I found out uh, later that month that I was selected. And so it was a really amazing opportunity. I got, I was awarded a $10,000 scholarship. And I also then started working with the space club on perfecting my speech. And uh, I will say it was probably uh, the most nerve wracking uh, experience thus far in my life. Uh, I, we were, sta- we were standing up on a stage um, when it was time for my keynote speech, and actually uh, Secretary Ben Carson was right there in the front row, um, very close to me. So that was interesting. Um, <laughs> and there were a lot of, the Secretary of the Air Force was there. There were, I think, several astronauts in the room. And so I was really, really nervous when I started. But as soon as I started talking, it all kind of went away. And afterwards, it was amazing. I got to meet all of these great people and yeah, it was really an experience I don't think I'll ever forget. And that's what you so want to do, right? You want to be an, an astronaut uh, in the future, uh, right? That's, yeah, that's the big dream right now. So <laughs> we'll okay. see. So, Sam, now we're going to ask you about all things Trumpy, as he's our favorite special guest who's actually <laughs> never appeared on our podcast. Yes. So he recently appointed Jim Brightston, who was just mm. confirmed as NASA director. Typically, NASA administrators are chosen from within NASA's ranks come up through the military or have a background in science. Now, Bernstein has none of that. He is a politician currently serving in the House. During his confirmation hearing, um, he would not agree with the assertion that human activity is a primary cause of climate change, which is an odd position to hold as the leader of an agency that provides some of the most comprehensive data on climate change in the world. Now, give us your thoughts on his confirmation as director of NASA and how the agency um, carries out its mission. Right. So, yeah, that, that for me is very disappointing um, to hear that he was you know, selected as the new director of NASA. Um, I think not only his uh, stance against climate change, but also his social stances against things such as um, same sex marriage and uh, against Obama's um, transgender bathroom rule. I think it kind of just shows that he really brings a really partisan approach to the position, which I think is really harmful for the director of NASA to have because NASA's ultimate goal is space flight and exploration. And that's something that we can all get behind regardless of party. And so I think it's really dangerous that we have someone so partisan um, and so, you know, related to Trump and he's known to be very unpredictable in the position. So I really disappointed that he's the administrator. And I also think that NASA uh, definitely can you can go in a really positive direction in the next few years. I think if they really channel all of their energy, we can be getting closer to our vision of going to Mars. But, uh, you know, I think someone such as the new administrator who has no scientific background and um, very, again, has a very partisan approach, I think it's going to be really difficult to achieve these goals. So now you you brought up the uh, mission to Mars. Um, and so, you know, we keep hearing about... Uh, this in the future, and uh, we're kind of getting excited excited about that. So, what do you see as sort of the next big thing for NASA, and um, you know, what exciting things can we expect in the next few years? Oh well, I, I wish I could say I was more of an expert on uh, NASA's <laughs> current current mission than I am, but I, I do think that a lot of people kind of jump to the next step of, oh, we're going to put humans on Mars, which I think is a really great goal to have. But I think realistically, there are a lot of steps that need to come before that. So for example, um, I think increasing the number of rovers and different technology we have on Mars to make sure that it's life-sustaining is really important. So I think, you know, just more missions there, um, more exploration kind of into deep space is, is really important before we start sending humans, especially because it'll take so much longer to get humans to Mars. I think it's really important we take the necessary precautions to um, send rovers, do, take, get more telescope data, all of that. Um, but I do hope that we'd be able to send humans to Mars and 
the next 20 years. So, Sam, uh, not only have you been accepted to all eight Ivy League schools and you've done all these great things and got all these amazing uh, rewards, awards and whatnot, but you also just recently wrote an article in Teen uh, Vogue. And so could you tell listeners a little bit about that process and what the uh, article was about and why did you write it? Yes, definitely. So um, last week I wrote an article in Teen Vogue that um, was entitled uh, "Teen or Dress School to Dress Codes Are Disproportionately Enforced Against Black Girls. Um, and I recently, over the past few months, have been working with the National Women's Law Center to co-author a report on specifically public schools in D.C. and how the dress codes are enforced. And the findings of the report are that um, black girls are disproportionately targeted and dress codes are disproportionately enforced against them in schools. Uh, and I felt really passionately about co-authoring this report because as a black girl in high school, I've definitely seen myself and my peers uh, be or have our bodies hypersexualized and also more regulated than those of our white peers. Um, I don't think that this is has necessarily uh, evil intentions or anything like that. I think that it's just the result of uh, the manifestation of implicit biases within the teachers and administration. But I think it's an issue that really deserves to be called out. And so after the National Women's Law Center report was published, I was contacted by Teen Vogue and was really excited to hear that they wanted to hear my thoughts more on the topic. And so last week they published uh, my op-ed, which talked a little bit about my experience with the dress code and also offered some of my solutions um, which involve getting students more involved in drafting reform dress code policies. And I think it's just an issue that uh, people should definitely talk about more. Wow. Well, there you have it. Everyone at home, bow down. You just heard from the Samantha wow. Sullivan, the queen. Uh, <laughs> teacher astronaut on the International Space Station and in her free time writing articles for Vogue. Um, Sam, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Sam.